Podcastle, episode 218, for July 24th, 2012. Insect Joy by Caspian Gray. Rated R contains adult themes, language, and sex. Hello, and welcome back to Podcastle. I'm Dave Thompson, and I'm going to go a little personal here, so bear with me, because this totally makes sense considering the setting for today's story. Come here and listen to this. Hey, guys. That, my friends, are my family's five new baby chicks. Mabel, Pumpkin, Ivy, Marla, and Toby. So sweet, huh? I actually spent this weekend putting together a chicken coop for them to keep the raccoons, cats, and any stray coyotes wandering around our neighborhood out. I'm a little bit worried, truth be told, about the coyotes and raccoons in particular, but these babies have a few months inside still, in their little aquarium-like cage before they go all free-range on us. Anyway, today's story takes place, at least partially, in a pet shop. And as the chicks just came in, I thought, hey, great timing. Also, today's piece is one of those types where a few posters on our forum will ask, why wasn't this on Pseudopod? Because Pseudopod doesn't have cute baby chicks, guys. At least not living cute baby chicks. Podcastle's very proud to present Insect Joy by Caspian Gray, originally published in Inner Zone. Caspian Gray currently lives in Columbus, Ohio, where he's a funeral director's apprentice. He's one of the regular contributors at groupgrok.com, and if you like this story, you can find more of his work at our sister podcast, Pseudopod. I particularly enjoyed In Bloom, and I suspect a lot of our listeners here at Podcastle will too. Julie Hoverson is the host of 19 Nocturne Boulevard, an award-winning audio drama anthology series presenting fully dramatized tales of what we like to call the strange, speculative, and supernatural. In other words, it's whatever she decides to write or adapt that day. Every episode is painstakingly written, produced, and screamed over by Julie, all the while inflicting as little pain on the actual actors as possible. If you like genre fiction with a darker edge, you don't want to miss it. So ring us up for a bag full of crickets and enjoy the story. Insect Joy by Caspian Gray The crickets started screaming after Louise came back from the war. Theirs was the lowest form of communication. They did not so much exchange ideas as alternate between different ways of expressing alarm. When Amy noticed they were out of water gel and took their bowl to refill it, they screamed. When she sprinkled calcium powder on their food, they screamed. When she cleaned the tiny bodies of their dead brethren out of the cage, they screamed. It was tiresome. Outside, now that each night brought frost, the world was quiet. There were the last dying flutters of cecropia moths, blown along the sidewalk like dead leaves. The swarms of ladybugs were already burrowed deep into schools and churches and people's homes, where occasionally she heard them churring to each other. She'd met a single dragonfly, perhaps the last one of November, perched in the sun on her front door. 
but that dragonfly was too tired or too old to speak. Only the feeder crickets at the store were still trying to express their mangled lives. Amy, said Rich, how long have you been sitting there staring? Amy brushed her greasy bangs out of her eyes and stood up. Not long. She took a few steps away from the cricket cage. I just sat down for a second. Rich smiled in that awkward way that would have told her how unhappy he was, even if they'd just met. No, no, he said. You're welcome to sit down. I just don't know how you stand the smell. The cage was rank. Brittany was supposed to clean it every Wednesday, but she didn't like to touch the crickets, and she had dimples and a way with her cleavage that exempted her from doing most tasks she didn't like. I could clean it out, Amy said. I don't mind. Rich shook his head. Nah, I need you at the register. He walked a few steps away. Amy unbent from behind the counter to face the lack of customers in the pet supply store that had driven her to attempt to converse with the crickets in the first place. Last week, she had started to sneak them food. Unwilling to pay for pellets designed for them, Rich fed them milk bones. Every time she walked into work, Amy could hear the sound of their hunger, a quiet gnawing underneath all their other tiny thoughts and feelings. She gave them clumps of mashed potato, torn off pieces of turkey, the whole pretzels with the salt licked off. They seemed to like it, though Amy didn't know if it was healthy for them. The crickets lived only a few weeks, even when people didn't buy them to feed to turtles, snakes, and toads. She didn't know whether it mattered for them to eat healthfully as long as their little bellies weren't empty, as long as they weren't so damn miserable. "'You're staring again,' said Rich. Amy wished he would go away. Rocket leapt into the air when Amy got home. He didn't think in words any more than the crickets did, any more than any dog did, but the press on his bladder was clear. Dogs were harder to hear than insects, but long familiarity made Rocket easy. Calm down, she murmured, struggling to clip on his leash. Calm down. Rocket did not calm down. She had to wrestle him still just to get hold of his collar. Rocket whined, wagging his tail with enough enthusiasm to bruise her leg. She kissed his forehead, even though it meant a few extra seconds before they could go outside. Sheer torture for his canine perception of time. He was a big, red, merle Australian shepherd, still young and therefore still ridiculous. Everything about his bouncing gait made her smile. There were few living things left in the copse of trees across from her apartment complex. Squirrels twittered past, making noises larger than themselves against the carpet of dead leaves, plastic bags, and rain-battered magazines. Rocket yanked his leash. To him, squirrels were not quite the same as squeaky toys, but they were close enough that he would be surprised if he ever caught one and found it made a different noise when he squeezed it between his teeth. The flocks of starlings had already come to pick the trees bare of crab apples, then moved on. Even the toads had abandoned their guard over the rain-slick sidewalks, holed up in their dank, leafy dens. Some piece of Amy's heartbeat already thrummed with impatience for spring, but there was solace in this quiet, of a kind she could not find in the warmer months when every animal clamored to be heard. Rocket stopped every few paces to sniff at the grass and lift his leg. 
Amy both screened his thoughts and ignored him. She imagined this was what years of marriage would be like, intimacy both comforting and occasionally wearisome, offering the type of calm and relaxation she never found in the presence of other human beings. They took the long way around the complex, even though Amy's legs were tired from standing all day. The cold breeze felt good against her cheeks after the stale air at work. If she wasn't so hungry, she might have stayed outside for hours, the way she used to do when she was young, before the gift and inconvenience of hearing animals began to intrude on her life. Luis was waiting when she got back. He parked his wheelchair in front of the door, blocking her way. Amy bent down to let Rocket off the leash. The dog slipped between the wheels and the door frame, then sat behind Luis, looking at her and wagging his tail. Hi, said Amy. How's your day been? I wish you'd come see me when you got home, said Louise. Rather than just taking care of the dog, I wish you'd say hi. Amy shrugged. I didn't see you. Rocket had to pee. Louise wheeled out of the way so she could come inside. Amy kicked off her shoes and sat down on the sofa. It felt good to rest her feet. So how was your day? Louise wheeled over to sit across from her, close enough that their knees almost bumped. Fine. Rich wasn't too bad. I can't wait to quit this shit and get a real job in an office or something. She didn't mention the misery of the crickets, or the elderly couple who'd brought in an obese golden retriever whose heart she felt gradually giving up. I mean, I know majoring in history wasn't the best idea, but I thought a B.A. would be worth something. She peeled off her work shirt with its cheery name tag and tossed it on the floor. Rocket wandered over to stick his nose in the sleeve, sniffing the armpit. Louise looked at her. She couldn't decide if his gaze was on her breasts, spilling out of her dingy bra, or on the puff of tummy that hung over the waistband of her pants in a way it didn't used to. "'Whose turn is it to make dinner tonight?' she asked. "'Yours.' "'Right. Let me toss a shirt on.' Amy headed upstairs where Louise couldn't follow. She took a long time sorting through her T-shirts, most of them from local bands long since extinct. Rocket followed her up, twining around her ankles. For just a minute, the quiet and love and wheedling neediness of his thoughts was good. The weather changed. It was still the middle of November, but suddenly the gray clouds disappeared. The air was seventy degrees, and the wind blew through like the promise of a tropical storm. The world was alive again. Gnats blossomed in the air, so numerous that Amy did not open her mouth outside for fear of swallowing an unwary group of them. Her world was full of thoughts again, the tiniest, most meaningless chatter of the kind only insects were capable of. She was simultaneously irritated and relieved to have one last reprieve before the great white silence that was coming. Winter would be broken only by rocket, the muffled dreams of the hibernating, and the last gasps of the dying. It was so warm that Amy rode her bike to work. Rich frowned when she showed up with her hair disheveled and a thin sheen of sweat on her forehead. Geez, he said. Did you just come from the gym or something? I rode my bike. Amy pointed toward the break room where she'd stashed it against the snack machine. Rich's frown deepened. You look sweaty, he said. It's too cold for that. 
There were hills. Amy looked at the tile floor, then forced herself to meet Rich's eyes. The employee's handbook says we're encouraged to ride our bikes to work. I could even get a bonus if I do it often enough. Rich took a step back. Oh. According to corporate, there's supposed to be a bike lock out there, you know, to make it easy for us. She wanted to press her advantage, but the expression on Rich's face made her look away. I probably won't for a while, though. It, it is too cold. Rich nodded. We got another shipment of crickets in this morning, he said. They're still in their box in the back. I'd like you to clean out their cage before you put the new ones in. Amy clenched her fist, unclenched it, then smoothed out her face. Sure, she said. First thing. It was easier, just a little bit, for Amy to clean out the cricket cage than it was for anybody else. She couldn't exactly order anything with a brain that small around, but she could herd them with a constant grinding mental pressure that eventually gave her a headache. At least it was a slow shift. All the real people had places to be on a Friday night, especially one so unexpectedly temperate. Amy waited for Rich to disappear into the back room, then reached in for a fistful of crickets. She dumped them outside on the sidewalk, using that same mental push to edge them out toward the strip mall's abbreviated decorative garden. It was probably not a kind thing to do. Soon this Indian summer would pass. They would freeze to death in the cold. If they didn't, there were numerous predators that would eat them, from spiders and birds to the local field crickets, a much fiercer species than her poor captive-bred feeders, who had never eaten food not provided for them in their tiny enclosures. But just for a moment, she could listen to their awe as they kept moving, encountering no glass walls to keep them in. On impulse, Amy put a few of them into one of the clear plastic bags they were sold in to take them home with her. That small copse of trees would be a whole world for them. They could keep her company until they died. Whose turn is it to make dinner? she asked, sitting down on the couch so Rocket could cuddle on her lap. For a brief, ridiculous moment, she was jealous that Luis didn't feel this kind of exhaustion in his legs anymore, that he was never desperate to just sit down. Immediately, she quashed the thought, her cheeks turning red. My turn, she said, standing up. I'll make dinner tonight. What do you want? Louise shrugged. Anything but hamburger helper. Amy stretched and pretended she hadn't already been going over the boxes in her head, trying to pick the flavor that would be the least offensive. Louise probably wouldn't think it was funny if she made macaroni and cheese or ramen noodles instead. How about grilled cheese and ham sandwiches? She asked, hoping the ham wasn't bad. I could heat up some tomato soup. Louise smiled. He had such a good smile. It seemed like Amy could never make him bring it out anymore. He kept it stored somewhere, as if he knew he would not have to use it often anymore. Amy put the prepackaged ham slices on the counter and stepped over to him, bending down until they were at eye level. He met her gaze without speaking. Sometimes it was still easy to remember why she'd moved in with him in the first place. In those days, sun-drenched by nostalgia, before he went to Afghanistan when he carried her around on his shoulders and they were worthless young assholes together, 
thrilled with the sheer possibility that echoed their every step and tossed off curse word. She wanted to feel invincible again. She wanted Louise to feel invincible again. Amy reached out to stroke his cheek. He leaned into her touch. Rocket curled around her legs, and the three of them stood perfectly still. Amy could hear Rocket's contentment, and underneath that something else, a vague, confused chirping. <laughs> she remembered the crickets sitting on the counter next to the door and leaned over Louise to pick them up. "'What's that?' he asked, reaching for the bag and accidentally knocking it out of her hands. The crickets spilled into his lap and he snapped away from them, leaning as far back as his chair allowed. "'They're just crickets,' said Amy. "'Hold still, I'll take care of them.' She bent down to scoop them off his lap, but Louise was faster. Instead of sweeping them onto the floor, he crushed them with his palm, squishing their guts into his pants. "'Louise!' she screeched, fisting a hand into his shirt, too late to stop him. Their deaths were too fast for crickets to understand. Released from that little bag, a few heartbeats of freedom, then nothing.' "'Jesus,' said Louise. "'Why did you bring those nasty things home?' "'I was letting them go,' said Amy. "'She released his shirt. "'Why did you kill them?' "'I didn't mean to,' Louise shrugged. "'You just spilled them all over me. "'I reacted. That's all.' "'Amy knelt down and scraped one of the corpses "'off the leg of his pants. "'It felt warm, much warmer than the corpse of an insect should.' Louise wrinkled his nose. I, I know I can't feel you doing that, he said, staring at her hands. But I feel like I can feel you doing that. Well, she snapped, next time don't murder my friends. That surprised a laugh out of Louise. Sorry, he said, not remotely sincere. Amy cupped the scraped-up body in her palm and started on another one. It seemed even hotter than the first. By the time she got the last one up, her palm was turning red, and Luis was squirming his shoulders. The crickets were almost too hot to touch, and Amy resisted the urge to smear them in Luis's hair, only because it seemed so disrespectful to their mutilated corpses. Instead, she rested her other hand on his shoulder, gripping it too tight. I'm serious, she said. I'm angry with you for doing that. Louise leaned away from her. The heat of the crickets vanished, and Louise jerked suddenly out of her grip. Jesus, he said. Did you just burn me? No. Amy stepped away from him. Louise wheeled around to face her, and as he did, his leg twitched. They both froze, staring at it. Louise put on an expression of great concentration but the leg did not move again. Amy retreated upstairs without a word. Rocket bounced on their walk that night. The Indian summer thrilled him. He was a puppy again, tugging at the leash and jumping after every sound. Their neighbors were out en masse, enjoying the last of the good weather, and Rocket exchanged play bows with the other dogs, whining if they ignored him. Far off, Past the net of trees that hid the road, she heard a train whistle. Rocket pricked his ears and offered a passionless yelp at the distant noise. They headed home early. Louise was sprawled out on the couch when they got back in. He was stripped down to boxers and a t-shirt, 
and gave her a look that was caught somewhere between hope and determination. Amy unclipped Rocket's leash. He bounded over to Louise, snuffling around his thighs until Louise pushed him off. Amy dared a giggle and quickly stifled it. Did you already... she asked. He used a paparavine injection when they didn't want to wait the extra time for Viagra to kick in, even though the erection it caused did not look right, and sometimes did not go away for hours after they were ready to be done. Yeah, I did. Do you want to... she asked. Louise waited for her to finish the sentence. I mean, uh, she said, what do you want to try? You know, he said, let's. Amy penned Rocket in the kitchen and stripped there, down to her bra and underwear and thick work socks. Louise was looking in the other direction when she walked into the room. It was a long moment before he turned to stare at her. Remember what the nurse said, she murmured. The brain is the largest sex organ. Jesus Christ, said Louise. I'm sure if that nurse had a penis she couldn't use anymore, she'd stop saying such dumb shit. You can use it, said Amy. I mean... Louise tugged his boxers down. His penis sprang out red and unhappy. She could hear Rocket's nails clicking on the kitchen floor. He hated being excluded, especially when the rest of his pack was making weird noises together. Louise's expression was so serious that Amy wanted to laugh. A smile grew across her face without her consent, and she leaned down to press it onto Louise's lips. Well, she amended, I can use it. She leaned back to tweak one of his nipples. Louise closed his eyes without smiling back at her. Foreplay used to be her favorite part. Now Louise made her feel like an interrogator trying to force pleasure like a confession from his dark, bitter body. She tenderly bit one of his earlobes, then gave him a ring of hickeys along his neck. She could hear their neighbor's television set through the wall. Louise kept his eyes closed, his eyebrows furrowed. She never knew if he was desperately concentrating on what she was doing or trying to block it out. By the time they got to the act itself, she was keeping her eyes closed, too. Amy got home exhausted. Louise was in the kitchen boiling water. A box of hamburger helpers sat on the counter, unaccompanied by a pound of actual hamburger. Are you just making that as a side dish? she asked. Louise wheeled away from the stove to face her. Someone, he said, didn't buy any hamburger at the grocery store. So, no, this is the main dish. Amy pursed her lips. You could have called and told me. I'd have picked some up on the way home from work. I did try to call you, said Louise. No, you didn't, snapped Amy. I had my cell phone in my pocket all day and it never rang. She pulled it out to prove there was no missed call message, but when she opened her phone, it was dead. She slipped it back into her pocket. No, said Louise. Let me see that. I called you three times. It doesn't matter. We'll just eat pasta. It's not super healthy to eat meat every day anyway. Jesus, he said, wheeling away from her to open the spice packet. You're not going to go out and buy more hamburger, even though it's your fault we don't have any? Um tired. You're the one who has all day free. Part of her regretted those words the second they left her mouth, but most of her was still angry, still feeling unaccountably righteous. You think I want... 
Louise started, but Amy cut him off. You don't even do the exercises your physical therapist told you to, she said. You never call that driver rehabilitation specialist. You don't check Craigslist for a car we could adapt for you. It's like you want to be stuck here. You don't do anything. Rocket stood between them, stomping his feet nervously. His nails clicked against the kitchen tile, and when Amy looked down at him, he gave his tail a tentative wag. Sorry, she said, caressing one of his ears. Everything is fine. Damn it, don't talk to the dog. Talk to me. I can't even argue with you without you ignoring me. I don't want to argue with you, Amy yelled. They were quiet for a moment. There was just Rocket whining and water on the stove boiling. Louise wheeled toward her, trying to nudge Rocket out of the way. Amy left her hand on Rocket's head, and Louise covered her hand with his own. Look at me, he said. Amy kept her eyes on Rocket. She wanted to be anywhere else. She wanted to leave and not come back. She, she wanted to disappear. The kitchen felt hot. It might have been the boiling water sending a cloud of steam up the kitchen ceiling, but the warm centered on her hand. Rocket whined. Shh, Amy murmured. Everything is okay. Louise tightened his hand on hers. There was so much heat between the three of them. It crescendoed, and Rocket yelped and pulled away from both of them. Louise's leg kicked out as if of its own accord and caught her just above the knee. Holy shit, said Louise. Holy shit, did you see that? Amy kept looking at Rocket. There would be a bruise on her leg tomorrow. Louise caressed his left knee. It fucking moved! He closed his eyes and tilted his head toward the ceiling. I can feel it! I can feel my toes! Amy did not know what to do. Jesus Christ! All the doctors were wrong! Louise surged up out of his chair and collapsed onto the floor. He pushed himself back up with his arms, but his legs were useless. Rocket laid down next to him, excited about all the noise. Help me up, said Louise. I feel so weird. One of his legs was spasming. It was like the first few months after he got back from the hospital, when he was convinced every phantom sensation caused by errant neurons meant that he would walk again. Jesus, Amy, I can feel my legs. Come here and help me. Amy thought that maybe she understood what was happening. She wanted to be gone. Seriously? asked Rich. You want all of them? Yeah. I don't even know how to count that. Amy shrugged. I mean, I know we got over a thousand in there. He paused. They were in the break room. Rich still looked stunned to see her on her day off. Brittany's voice leaked back from the front of the store. It sounded like she was flirting with the skaters who hung out in the parking lot. What are you going to do with a thousand crickets? This is awfully expensive if you're just going to let them go. At a dime a cricket, this was expensive. It would wipe out the part of her paycheck she usually reserved for paying back student loans. Well, she said, add in my employee discount. Rich just looked at her. Fine, he said. I guess. He turned back to his paperwork. I mean, it's weird, but whatever. Have Brittany ring you up. Amy headed to the front of the store. The skater boys clustered around Brittany like a flock of birds, all of them singing courtship songs and spreading their plumage for her to admire. Amy waited for a pause in their chatter before she broke in among them. Brit? 
It took Brittany a moment to look away from a boy wearing bright red eyeliner. Britt, I need you to ring up some crickets for me. How many? Brittany flipped her hair. The boys were watching. All of them. What? Rich said round it to a thousand. Oh, Brittany pursed her glossy lips. I don't really like touching the crickets. Amy felt grateful. That's fine. Just ring it up and I'll take the whole tub. Don't worry, I'll bring the container back tomorrow morning. Brittany wrinkled her nose. Okay. Amy picked up the glass aquarium they housed the crickets in and set it on the counter. The sight of more than a thousand insects crawling all over each other was sufficiently strange to distract the skaters from Brittany for a few seconds. Brittany frowned and rang up the sail. The crickets' distress was palpable. They had not seen direct sunlight since they left the farm in Georgia where they were raised. Not that they remembered so far back. Wow, said Brittany, a thousand crickets. So after tax and your discount, that's $90.74. Did you just buy a lizard or something? Yeah, my boyfriend's brother didn't want his bearded dragon anymore, so he gave it to us. It must be hungry. Brittany leaned over to tap the glass. The cricket started screaming. Amy picked the whole container up, shielding it from Brittany and the boys, and walked out to her car. Louise was out of his chair and sprawled on the couch watching TV when she got home. What? he asked. The hell is that? Crickets. Crickets. Why did you bring home a billion crickets? Move your leg, Amy ordered. That's not funny. Try. Louise put on a look of deep concentration, not hugely different from the expression he wore when they were about to attempt to make love. <laughs> Nothing usually happened then, either. Amy took the screen lid off the aquarium. Immediately, a few of the crickets escaped, disappearing under the bed and skittering to the room's corners. Hold my hand, she ordered. Louise pressed his palm against hers, and she pulled him toward her until she could smell him. She waited for the feeling of warmth. Jesus, said Louise, those crickets are getting everywhere. He put the lid back on. We're going to be finding their dead little bodies for weeks. Just look at me. Look right in my eyes. Louise did. They held the box of crickets between them, but there was no tension there. She did not feel pregnant with heat as she had before with Rocket between them. She clutched Louise's hand tighter. One of the crickets completed a frantic sprint across the carpet to shelter underneath the wheels of Louise's chair. She could hear its panic, so high-pitched it seemed to catch in the bones of her face and vibrate. Outside there were birds, squirrels, and chipmunks, the creatures who kept winter from being as bleak as she always believed it to be. Things were never truly quiet. Louise wiggled one of his toes. Amy yanked her hands out of his and took the lid off the aquarium again. She dumped the hundreds of crickets over their heads. A piece of egg carton caught in Louise's hair. The crickets' panic swelled. Jesus! shrieked Louise. What the hell is wrong with you? She could feel crickets caught in her hair, a few of them clinging to her skin with tiny barbs of their legs. They were inside her clothes. Louise squirmed in his chair, trying to knock them away. One of the crickets clung to her lips, and Amy opened her mouth and caught it with her tongue. She bit down, catching it right between her molars.
The cricket's body gushed inside her mouth, salty and bitter. But the horde was quiet by one more voice. Amy caught Louise's face between her hands and pulled him forward, pressing her lips to his. They were chapped, pressed tightly together, but when he opened them to protest, she thrust half of the cricket's chewed-up body between them. She swallowed the other half like a pill and covered Louise's mouth with her palm. Eat it, she whispered. Louise looked so strange. Maybe it was the situation that was strange. Maybe everything would finally be okay. Louise swallowed. She kissed him again, no tricks this time, pressing her tongue inside his teeth, wishing she could suck out his essence and swallow it whole. That feeling of heat and then life started growing inside her, started with the cricket in her belly. It pulsed outwards. Maybe it was years of watching daytime television that made her picture it as white light. Maybe that was what it actually was. Louise returned her kiss, less with passion than desperation. The crickets on their bodies died. Amy was stretched as thin as she had ever been. She heard all those small animals in the woods and front yards and parking lots around them, and deeper than that she heard neighborhood cats on the prowl and rabbits sleeping down in their dens. She was more aware of life than she had ever been, as if every hippie was right and they were all really connected by one great web. She felt along the tendrils of that web, testing the energy, and began to redirect it. She could hear Rocket gated in the kitchen, miserable with all of his being that Amy and Louise were together and he was one room over, instead of with them. First the crickets died, and then the death spread outward. Rocket howled. "'Jesus Christ!' said Louise. "'Oh, God!' he chanted like he used to chant when they had sex, but now the tone was fearful instead of orgasmic. "'Oh, God!' Too late, Amy realized how little control she had over what was going on. The crickets were not going to be enough to make Louise walk again. Rocket howled again. "'No!' yelled Amy. "'Not my dog!' But Rocket faded just as the crickets had. The silence spread throughout their apartment complex, into the cups of trees. There were no more cats, no more squirrels, no more brave robins or flocks of sparrows. She had killed everything. Amy sobbed. Oh, God, said Louise, I can feel my legs. He wheeled away from her, then moved his feet from their footrests to the floor. His atrophied legs supported his weight for only a moment before collapsing underneath him, but when he tried to move them, they kept jerking. "'My legs!' he yelled. There were dead crickets squished against the front of his shirt. "'Amy, you did it! My fucking legs!' Amy walked over to the kitchen and looked down at Rocket. Lying down on the floor, the angle of his body subtly wrong for sleep. "'Rocket!' Who was everything? She would have dumped Louise and married Rocket instead, if that was the sort of thing that people did. I'm going to walk again, said Louise, the words like a prayer. I'm going to walk. Amy left. She went outside, leaving Louise talking to himself and Rocket terribly still, to see how far the silence stretched. 
and welcome back. There's a lot this one made me think about, particularly about sacrifices and the costs we pay for them. I listened to Sebastian Younger's War earlier this year, and there's this section about two-thirds through where he talks about regardless of what you think politically about how the United States owes it to our soldiers to acknowledge the cost of their sacrifices during wartime. Not just the soldiers who died, but also the ones who were living. I don't think there's a big political statement to be made in this story, but it does make you question the sacrifice, doesn't it? All right, let's turn to feedback. This week is for Patricia Russo, Sitting Around the Stew Pot, read by Kean McMahon. This is the one where Grandpa was telling his grandkid about how things used to be when dogs were still man's best friend, before dogs abandoned us. It was primarily told through dialogue, so it was a bit divisive on our forum, with some people feeling like not very much happened. There was also a lot of discussion amongst our posters as to whether the narrator of the story was a boy or a girl. Askiyumi said, Guys, she's totally a girl. The dogs won't have anything to do with the men folk anymore, but they still like the women. Dogs and women always working for the men, but they got fed up with it after a while and left, like she's going to do now, tired of listening to her old grandpa. The truth is, the men don't even recognize the dogs anymore. Think they're wolves and foxes, maybe because they're free like wolves and foxes and not servile anymore. I like their back and forth in this story. I like the language. Even though the grandpa was a miserable old coot, he was pretty funny, and I even felt sorry for him a little. I thought the reading was excellent, too. Scattercat argued, I briefly thought the narrator might be a secret girl, but that just doesn't make sense thematically. This is a story about a generation that didn't learn its lesson inadvertently, and successfully teaching the next generation the truth. If the narrator is a secret girl, and she would have no real investment in granddaddy's nonsense because she'd known that she could leave whenever she wanted to join her sisters, and the emotional core of the story would be lost. Well, thanks to everyone who posted comments for that story, and I'll go ahead and thank you all in advance for posting comments on this week's story. I'm going to go ahead and gird myself for those. Why wasn't this on pseudopod emails? If you like what we're doing, please visit podcastle.org and consider making a donation. Every single cent goes to paying our authors and keeping our podcast flying high so we don't have to make any unnecessary sacrifices. Thanks. That's our show for this week. On behalf of everyone at PodCastle, thank you so much for letting all of us share another story with you. We'll be back in one week when Donna Glee Williams plays her circle harp for us. Until then, keep chirping, and we'll see you in a week. PodCastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. You can discuss this episode of PodCastle or nearly anything else on our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartist.info. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. J.M. Barry said, Dreams do come true, if only we wish hard enough. You can have anything in life if you will sacrifice everything for it. <laughs>